At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Train Noons and Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, John Casillo, and with me again is Dan Lyons. How's it going, everyone? So, uh, yeah, this has been a, uh, like a slow news week, but nonetheless, I mean, this is kind of what happens right before, right after media days and, and right as the season's about to, to get into full swing. Yeah, at least we have a, a pretty fun team to talk about tonight. So we I won't promise anything, but this might not be as tangent e as last week. <laughs> no offense I mean, to the well, it, <laughs> it depends uh, on what we consider a tangent because cause we, I guess we have to start with with Larry Fedora and and what appears to be a a a pretty solid uh Solid six pack he's got going there. He's, he's looking swole. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he loves to show everyone how jacked and tanny is, especially hanging out on the beach with his daughter, which I just found. I mean, I'm not going to accuse Larry of anything, but it's just like super. It just it seemed like a weird picture. Isn't she the one who sent it in though? Like that that that. I don't know. I don't know if that makes it more or less weird. Probably less. <laughs> but we'll give we'll give Larry the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's the one who sent it to uh, ESPN, though, because they're the ones who really made it go viral. True. Yeah, it was an odd picture. And then the follow-up today from uh, from Darn and Cutcliffe was, was highly entertaining. Cutcliffe, I don't think I've ever seen him look so happy. Maybe he just really likes Bud Light. I, I could see Cutcliffe as a, as a big Bud Light guy. <laughs> like not in like an aggressive way, more in like a he'd be perfectly happy coming home to a sixer Bud Light and just hanging out on the porch. Yeah, like he's just not not picky. He's not a he wouldn't wouldn't enjoy our podcast too much. At least the middle section. He probably would enjoy it because we're very pro Duke football. <laughs> but oddly, uh, it's feeling. Doran just definitely doesn't like us. Does Bud Heavy? Yeah, who drinks Bud Heavy? Come on. I say that to people. I think not only do I think it's Bud Heavy all the time, but I refer to it as Bud Heavy, and everyone around here wonders what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, is that just an East Coast thing? Because I feel like Bud Heavy is just like the like the vernacular now. I think it's an East Coast thing because yeah, anytime I've mentioned it out here, I get I'm looked at like I have two heads. So yeah, what's the know. opposite of Bud Light? <laughs> Like, if you're not drinking beer like that, I don't want to be, like, passing out afterwards uh, based on just the the weight of it. Like, I'd rather just – I, I have I no real qualms with drinking cheap-ish beer, but I'd, I'd rather just drink, like, a bunch of Bud Lights and feel okay about myself. I, I will admit, though, Bud Heavy – I mean, Bud Heavy's still bad, but it's better than Bud Light. Uh, I, 
I will. Yeah. It's better, but I don't know if, if it's, like, significantly so. so. It was a relative care. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Like what would you ra- like? What would you prefer? Dying in a car crash or dying in a ten car crash? <laughs> still the same. Still the same. Awful. Uh, well, there we go. We've alienated so many people so far. Oh, yeah. Maybe <laughs> InBev will never ever be a sponsor. That's okay. Yeah, I think we're good. But anyway, so yeah. He'll jump into some North Carolina actual football. Um, this is an interesting team. Um, probably one of my, I mean, it, I'll, I'll fully admit that I, I do enjoy myself some, some UNC Chapel Hill, and, and I do enjoy myself visiting that campus, as I have numerous times. Very big fan of the area. Uh, and this team is, is kind of fun. Fedora's really brought, like, an interesting kind of dynamic and they're really – I'm starting to think they might be able to uh, to meet those those high expectations of, of Sleeping Giant that we always hear bandied about for them and several other programs. Yeah, I, I think that um, last year, while the beginning of the season was just a disaster for them, um, they had a really tough schedule early on. I, obviously, ECU was no joke, as, as they proved in that game, and they played South Carolina. Um, but they also, like, no one expected the quarterback situation to be what it was, and they ended up figuring it out, which is, is a good thing. But Bryn Renner was like a preseason, you know, people thought he was going to be one of the, if not the best quarterback in the ACC. Um, now, and, and obviously that didn't work out um, with with all the issues that he had. But um, I guess it works out. Last season, the way it played out probably makes this season even better, um, at least projection-wise, because they've now gotten they, – they know what they have in Marquise Williams for the most part. Um, they lose, you know, some pretty important players, but they still, you know, as far as college football goes, they, they bring back a lot of guys. So – as long as they don't have like just a total disaster of a start that like, and they shouldn't because their schedule isn't nearly as hard this year, um, at our conference wise at least. Um, this should be a pretty good season for UNC. They, they're they're a fun team. Uh, they've put up a lot of points, and uh, I'm excited to see them. I'm excited to see them play this year. Yeah, I mean they were an interesting case last year. I mean I was fully in because we didn't know what was going to happen with Miami and sanctions. I was I was fully in the UNC court last year. Obviously, that didn't happen when it comes to the Coastal Division. But I was very surprised that, you know, schedule-wise, just how much that really beat them down. I mean, the year before, they kind of benefited from an easier schedule. Then last year, they kind of got knocked down by a tougher schedule. I just didn't see Renner struggling the way he did. And, and then, I mean, you never like to see somebody get injured. But Renner getting hurt was kind of a godsend for this team that really, you know, Renner was, was – was one of the last earmarks of the previous regime. You know, they were they were focusing on how to how to get by without, you know, Giovanni Bernard. And then once Rep left, then Williams kind of just put his stamp on the offense pretty immediately. Um, and you saw a, a stark, stark difference. I mean, the way that team closed out, no, it wasn't against world leaders necessarily, but the way they closed out was, was impressive enough to, I think, gain, gain some legitimate momentum going into 2014. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and and they ended up making a bowl. They won seven games, so it wasn't like you know they didn't go four and eight, and it wasn't like now they really have to hope that the rebuilding is uh, is going to pay off. Like they had, you know, not a good season by what they wanted or what they thought they were going to get, but it ended up not being a total disaster. Just for it was compared to pretty high expectations. I mean, a lot of UNC fans were, you know. Assuming that they were gonna, or maybe not assuming, but they they had their eyes on the coastal division. So, um, yeah, it, it it was a tough year, but they bounced back and and they kind of found their offensive identity under Williams, like you said. Um, so, you know, if any, I, I do think that they are going to come out of the the tough start last year better for it, just because they now know more who they are, and it's another year uh, under Fedora, um, just adjusting to the system and everything. Yeah, I mean, we harped on with NC State last week the uh, the transition to to a new system um, and how that takes time with personnel. And you know, at this point, like NC State's only in year two of, of Darn and his spread offense. And I think now, like Fedora, Fedora really brought you know a, a very different both offense and defense. Um, the spread kind of helped him. Like the spread for him. Um, you know, is a huge, huge change for this team um, based on, like, what was a very kind of lackluster pro-style offense before that. But I think now as we head into year three, I mean, it should be mostly his players um, plugged in. He, the guys that are on this team are really all built for speed and, and exactly the type of offense that he runs. Um, I, I think, you know, while, while a lot of attention is going to be paid towards Williams, and I think um, Ryan Switzer and, and Quinchez Davis. I, I think the two big questions um, for me are, you know, who, who replaces Eric Ebron, who was, you know, really transformative tight end? And then what happens with this offensive line, um, you know, losing more guys and really kind of relying on youth more than anything else this year um, and depth over experience? Yeah, I'm actually I'd be more concerned about the O line than I am Ebron. Like having a good tight end is is a really nice thing as especially we see in the NFL now. And Ebron was a top flight tight end. But I think you can get by with Twinshaw Davis and Ryan Switzer uh being two top guys. Um and if they can just get, you know, some solid blocking out of the out of the whoever fills in for Ebron, I think they'll be they'll be happy. Um, offensive line-wise, Hurst was an All-ACC player at left tackle. Russ Bodine was a really good center. He was, a, I think, a fourth-round draft pick this year. Um, they do bring back four guys who started games or who have career starts. Uh, Kira Holtz um, only has one, but he's a four-star talent. He sits for 295, so he lets the part. Um, and then they bring back uh, their uh, John Heck, who – um, not sure if you know if he's moving over to the left side or they're going to try to put someone else in there. I assume they're moving him over, right? I believe so, but I haven't heard anything for sure. That would just make the most sense. Um, right. I mean, they, or, I mean if they're going to put – well, they're going to put Spain in or whatever. I mean, yeah, there's there's not enough – like, I don't – I mean, Spain's a freshman. It's not unheard of, but I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I, I, I would think. 
I was saying putting a freshman, a true freshman at left tackle is a real, like, uh, you're showing a lot of belief in that kid. Because that's one of the, besides maybe quarterback and I don't even know what else, maybe middle linebacker. Like, that's just a real key position that you want to have a guy with experience, especially when you're going to play. They play Clemson this year. Um, some of the other defenses in the ACC have really solid pass rush guys. Uh, I assume they're going to move um, heck over, uh, and maybe Spain can play right tackle. But even that, like playing on the offensive line as a true freshman, is is tough. And they have other guys too. I mean, you know, Dancy and Holtz. I mean, Dancy's more of a guard. Like Ferrante and Holtz in particular, like are guys that that could get plugged in and probably should. But I, I haven't really paid attention to camp in terms of North Carolina. You know, if Spain's really proving himself, then, then maybe it's worth a shot at right tackle. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. Definitely not left. They really, just looking at, at the sizes and numbers, like they really put together a, an impressive uh, set of linemen. Like everyone sits, sits, sits five. Um, they're all right. Obviously they have what they want in terms of, like, size. They're all, except for, like, like Kraut, Lucas Crowley's, 270. He's the lightest. Um, Landon Turner's 320, and then everyone else is is basically between like 280 and 310. Like they they obviously want like that middle. Like we, we talked with Bud Elliott a couple weeks ago. Um, you know teams know what they want on the offensive line, and they real clearly want what height and um, which which makes a little sense when they have a, a guy who can run around with like Marquise Williams. He's you know doesn't have to and he's I don't know how tall Williams is. Um, yeah, he sits too, so he's not too short. But they clearly want height, and then they want fairly big guys, but not who, who can probably move around a bit and pull, but not, you know, huge offensive linemen. Yeah, I think that's the key there. It's, I mean, the, the height is impressive as hell, but I think that the bigger part of this is, is guys with great footwork. Um, and if you're going to run a spread, and you're right, it, it's, it's guys who can pull, it's guys with great footwork, um, I, I think a lot of these guys have tons of ton of weight behind them at the same time. I, I don't think it's inhibiting because they're all hanging in the six five, six six, six seven range. Um, you know, again, it's depth with this group is insane. Like, yes, the top of the depth chart is loaded with so, uh, sophomores and juniors, but then beyond them are a ton of sophomores and juniors and freshmen. Like, this is this is a group that may not have a definitive answer and may uh, you know need to have you know, alignment rotation and really shuffle some guys in and out. I know you're not um, a big proponent of of that necessarily, but at the same time, for a group like this that, that may still be searching for its leaders along the line, it might not be the worst thing. Yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an always work out. It's just, you know, it it it, it depends on, on – uh, it's a taste-by-case thing. So uh, I, I think their offense, like, they really don't have – Giant holes in general. Like Ebron's, Ebron's the biggest individual one. Um, but like I said before, they have Quinshot Davis, who's one of the best receivers in the in the league. Um, and teams can get by without a great tight end. Obviously, he was a big part of what they did last year. But um, it's not like it's not like Williams doesn't have guys to throw to. So I, I think their their offense, for the most part, is is pretty scary. Um, I'm not too disappointed we don't play them this year. Um, it's not like out of this world like Florida State's, but it probably could end up being the best top to bottom offense in the Coastal. I don't think that's too crazy to say. Um, 
I think the one major hole on this team that I can see is on defense, but we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, I mean, offensively, you're right. I mean, and then also, you know, you look at just how god-awful some of those offenses are. I mean, Virginia Tech's obviously out of the equation automatically. Georgia Tech, I think, takes a step back. Uh, Virginia has no answers anywhere on offense. So that already eliminates, you know, three of the other teams. You're looking at Duke, which has to replace a bunch on their line. Um, Pitt should actually take a step forward offensively without Savage, um, who I was never a fan of, and nor were you. Um, we brought that up before. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, and then Miami is is probably the other the other contender for best offense. Um, you know, in this division. But overall, yeah, North Carolina's kind of set top to bottom. Um, you know, and you're right, too, about about Ebron. I think at the tight end, and I don't think any tight end is really, you know, going to be transformative necessarily. Well, not transformative, but you know, tight end is going to be the only thing your offense does, but at the same time, um, you know, Ebron's ability to, to function as a safety valve and to function as a wide receiver all in one, I think really helped out Williams' development last year, and I think it's going to be um, interesting how they, they use tight ends going forward. I think what we haven't discussed, though, is, is the running back position, which a lot of people are high on, and I'm not I'm not a hater necessarily, but, you know, I I am curious to see what, you know, guys like T.J. Logan and Elijah Hood do, and they don't have, they don't have really have a lot of running backs on the roster. Yeah, they. I mean, they were so all over the place last year in the running game, but Logan... I mean, he did rush for almost 60 yards of Terry last year, um, which is impressive. Williams is a threat in, in himself, and, and he'll probably build on. I mean, they had, he had 560 yards last year on the ground. He only played major minutes in, like, there were, let's see, he, he, he had no, no rushes or no anything. He didn't show up in, te- in Georgia Tech or East Carolina. He barely played in South Carolina or Middle Tennessee. He uh, and then he had five rushes into Miami for 27 yards. He had seven rushes into BC for 55, and then totaled like 15 passes in those games. So he he was really the de facto. Like he was the, the QB one in one in seven games and ran for you know almost 600 yards. So that's pretty impressive. Agreed. I I, I think. You know, I'm much more taken by by Williams' production. I mean, 111 attempts and get 500 yards and didn't even play, barely played half a season. Um, you know, I think Logan Logan was a savior for this team rushing-wise because, you know, A.J. Blue was kind of looked to to, to really run things uh, along with Romar Morris, and neither of them really, really ever caught um, in this offense just because, they weren't as involved in the passing game. They they just didn't seem to fill the same role that, that Bernard did. And then what Logan did, um, to his credit, is, is kind of carved out his own niche. Um, at the same time, though, only 93 carries last year. Um, so I like the 5.7 yards per, but at the same time, um, I, I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode with him because, you know, it, when we're dealing with this with, I think, some of our running backs as well, is that okay? Like you, you produced, you know, very well in a limited amount of time. But now let's see what else happens, and now let's see what you do 
you know, when you're, you're a feature back. And, and, and no, there are, are very few of them now. But at the same time, I think if, if you're looking at a team that may have some semblance of a feature back, I, I think it's probably North Carolina. Yeah, I think Logan will, will establish himself as that this year. Um, it's almost weird. Like, you, Romar Morris, he's, he's 5'10", 185, so he's not a very big guy. But he, I don't know, I don't remember exactly how they used him last year, but it seems like he was just vulturing touchdowns. Cause he had five touchdowns on uh, on 59 carries and 300 yards, and he was the fourth-leading rusher on the team. Um, but second in touchdowns, only one behind Williams on the ground. So, uh I don't know. That just that just uh, strikes me. I'm not sure if they just used him in near the red zone or if he just you know happened to be the guy in. But that's uh, kind of an interesting number, all things considered. There. Then I guess that takes us to the defense, and and you seem like you have plenty to say here, Dan. So let you uh, let you jump in first. Um, the defense is interesting. Um, their D-line, they, they lose Kareem Martin, who had a really good year last year. He had 11.5 sacks, 21.5 tackles for loss, like really legit numbers. Um, and then they lose Tim Jackson, who was their main defensive tackle. Uh, they bring back uh, Nortithus Otis, who is, A, a card-holding member of the all-name team, and, B, um, was a really good pass rusher in his own right. He plays that, that off of the, the bandit position for them, which is like an outside linebacker, D-end hybrid in that 4-2-5 defense they run. Um, 14 tackles for loss last year, eight and a half sacks. He had a pick. He had three fourth fumbles. Did, did a little bit of everything, 43 total tackles. So really solid player. Um, they bring back all their linebackers, literally, across like every linebacker they had last year's back, um, including, you know, a couple really solid guys, uh, Jeff uh, Schottmer had 65 and a half tackles last year. Uh, Travis Hughes at 58. Um, a couple sacks across the board for them. Um, the, the one thing is that teams ran on UNC a lot last year, and I think they'll still uh, still be kind of uh, in that same situation because they don't have a ton of size up front. Um, they run a 4-2-5, so you'd think that they would want some bigger interior linemen, but they only have two guys that tip 300 pounds on the on the line. Neither of whom played all that much last year. Um, Sean Underwood played in nine games uh, and had six tackles, and Greg Webb uh, redshirted. So um, maybe he'll factor in a little bit more, um, but they don't have a ton of, of size up front. And then the other problem is on defense, they lose Trey Boston and Jabari Price in uh, – not defense, in defensive backfield. Uh, Trey Boston was one of the best safeties in the league last year. Um, I can see teams, A, are still going to pound the ball against UNC because they are a little bit light, and now they don't have Trey Boston, who's back and able to keep the, uh, the, you know, the cap on the defense at the back end. So I wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of play action against them. Um, teams are probably going to test them deep uh, because they, they do lose a lot uh, in the back end. And uh, they'll get to the quarterback, I think, which will help. But... That's my one major concern is that I think teams will, will really try to um, tire the defense out, pound the rock, and then if they have a quarterback that can go deep, I expect to see a lot of it. Yeah, in mean, this secondary, like they bring back guys, but obviously, you know, if you've made kind of a – if you've made a reputation for allowing big plays, 
and really getting lit up in the secondary. I mean, there's enough teams in the ACC that go ball deep. Um, to me, what I find interesting, though, is I don't know how much it's going to hurt them in the coastal. I mean, looking at looking up and down that division, there aren't a lot of teams who can throw the deep ball. So to me, it's really going to come down to, you know, whether they can apply pressure um, from the front lines. And I, I do think they can. I, I think there's going to be some growing pains, but I do think that they can apply some pressure and and really, you know, get a solid pass rush going. I mean, there's there's so much inexperience um, at quarterback. There, there's a lot of turnover on offensive lines. I I do like what they can do here. Um, it, it's really going to come down to, you know, striking that balance between you know senior heavy lineups and, and and some of the youth they have coming in. I know that again, this is all a product of of shuffling things around w- with a new system. Um, it seems they do have kind of there's a lot of seniors and there's a lot of sophomores and freshmen. So it'll be interesting to see how they use that talent. Uh, the linebackers are interesting. Um, I think you mentioned Travis Hughes. Um, mm. And he's not the only standout there. But but I think that, um, you know, this is a really fun group overall. I mean, I don't know if we're going to consider uh, Norquitas Otis uh, linebacker or, or a lineman. I know in my ACC preview last week, I, I referred to him as a lineman more because he's kind of a free agent. I mean, he used a ton on pass rush. I, I think I think he could be the real standout for the defense. Um, and if they're looking to try to replace Kareem Martin, um, I, I'd probably go with Otis as, as the main guy for that. And, and the main, you know, the main motivator behind what should be a surprising um, pass rush in, in my book, at least. Yeah, he's he's gonna have I think an All ACC caliber year. Um, he's just real athletic. A real dangerous guy off the edge, and, and he's in that that bandit position where they're really they're they're mostly going to steam things around, getting him uh, free looks at the pass rusher. Um, and it's hard to really dedicate. Uh, it's harder to to set up blocking schemes to take care of a, a guy like that who who freelances than it is for a straight up defensive end in a four three or a really good interior lineman. So I think he's going to get his, um, and he's probably the key player on that defense. Now I guess looking up and down this like depth chart and everything, is there one guy? I mean, Otis is a good bet. Is there one guy that comes out of nowhere here? I think I think North Carolina's. I think there are difference between eight wins and ten wins, and I don't think ten wins is out of the question. Um, I think the difference between eight wins and ten wins might be the secondary, and I think in that case we're looking at somebody like Tim Scott. No. Like somebody who who can really prevent the big plays, and like I said, they're they're not going to have to stop a ton of them. But at the same time, um, obviously the opportunities present themselves for them to create their own big plays, and and that's if um, if the secondary actually shows up. Yeah, the big plays is where they kind of had an advantage last year. They had Boston and Price both. Um, a Boston picked off five passes. Uh, he was just a real threat to to you know make plays back there, but they also both had four and a half tackles for loss. They weren't afraid to come up and play the run when when they needed to, and they both had they combined for 17 pass breakups between the two of them. So they were really adept at making plays, um, and that's 
really a, a huge hole. So we don't know as much about the other guys. Um, they have a bunch of guys who have played. It's just a matter of who can step in and, and try to almost, you know, even consider replicating that production. All right. And I guess this is as good a time as any for halftime. Uh, so time to talk beer. What, what are you uh, What are you drinking, Dan? Um, I had a couple different things since last time. Um, it was interesting. I, I didn't realize I, I found a, a new Connecticut brewery, Black Hot Brewing, which is in Oxford, which is in the general New Haven area. Um, I only had one thing by them. They had a couple on tap at the place near me, um, which was called Swag. I forgot what it was. A, it stood for something. Oh, Summer Weed Ale with Grapefruit. Um, the Grapefruit, it, it apparently is brewed with Grapefruit, Peel, and Sage. Um, pretty good, you know, kind of standard summer wheat ale. Um, a pretty decent hop profile as well, actually, uh, more than you usually get out of a, a summer ale. Um, the grapefruit wasn't, you know, readily apparent, but there was definitely a little bit of that flavor there. Um, it was, you know, overall pretty nice beer. I didn't even realize the place existed until I, I had it, so it's they must be brand new, so not a bad offering. Um, and then I was at a birthday party, and I picked up a Magic Hat Summer Box, um, which had four different things in it. Um, they have the number nine, which I still say is probably my favorite out of the ones in here, uh, despite its inclusion in the Deadspin 18 overrated beer list, which I, I just can't deal with Deadspin when they talk beer. Um, they are, I don't know, they have a, their weird viewpoint on it. Um, yeah. The Elder Betty. I saw that last year today. Yeah. Um, I saw you comment on my check-in the Elder Betty, which was okay. Probably my least favorite of the four. Um, I'm not sure what elderberries are supposed to taste like, so maybe I don't really have a great viewpoint, but it was okay. Um, the Dream Machine uh, IPA, pretty solid. You know, it's, it's Magic Hat, so it's a little lighter, um, very drinkable, but, you know, a decent, solid, or definitely an IPL. Interesting. Um, but pretty solid, and then the Hocus Pocus Summer Wheat, which is, you know, another one of the better ones I think they do, but I'd still say the number nine is probably my favorite out of those, although I've had some of like their fall beers, which I like a little more, um, the fall seasonals that they put out. But, uh, yeah, overall, you know, some pretty good stuff. The Magic Tap stuff is always really drinkable and good for the summer, I think. You see, I've always found with Magic Hat, and we're actually starting to get the variety packs out here, which is interesting. Um, and, and nostalgic for me. But um, I've always found that they did fall and winter better than spring and summer in my book. I don't think I've had the winter packs. I've had, I used to have the fall a decent amount, and then uh, this is probably the first time I've had the summer, but I've had some of these beers individually before. Um, the fall is definitely my favorite thing they, they do, though. They put out some good stuff around them. I guess for me, uh, some things I've been drinking, uh, have, was at one of my favorite spots around here, uh, Library Ale House. They had a uh, Small City's Grape Ape IPA, a local phase, along with uh, Phalanx. It's uh, an IPA from modern times uh, down in San Diego. Uh, it's got like a, a cool, it's not a fruit beer at all, but it has like an interesting and very light um, like peach tone in it. So it never, again, never tastes like fruit, never overly sweet, but has like a nice peach tone that actually bounces out the hops really well. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of that. Um, 
also really, in, I was, I'm still finishing up my beer camp across America box. So I got to have a double latte from Sierra Nevada. And what else did this one? The fact that I don't remember this is bad. Sierra Nevada and, and Ninkasi. And I actually don't like Ninkasi beers usually. Um, a can fusion. There were two cans and ten bottles in the box. Um, can fusion was their uh, rye box that they brewed with Oscar Blues, and it was really really delicious. Um, another one of my favorite seasonal beers as well, um, Aroma Coma, the Drake's IPA. Very very good. Um, had a bunch of other stuff too, but don't have to go into all those. You can check out Untapped for the large collection of of beers I've been drinking as of late. One I missed, uh, I forgot I had it um, at the same party, was after we ran out of Magic Hat, I unwittingly tried a Narragansett Summer Ale. Um, I'm not sure if you ha- are privy to Narragansett. It's very mediocre beer that people in New England act like it's, uh, or pretend is really good. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like New England. It's like, like Massachusetts, honestly. Um, the regular <laughs> Narragansett, it's it's I, it's not good. <laughs> and uh, just like, a funny, a funny thing about it, like uh, at my last job, one of I worked at a, a private school in their athletic department um, last year, and one of the families that sent their kids to the school apparently owned Narragansett. So that was the first time I got introduced to it, right when it was blowing up here in in New England, and <laughs> I asked about it, and everyone there was just so sick of it, because apparently that's all they had at all their events. Um, but yeah, people here swear by it, but it's not very good. But I had their summer ale, um, because it was like all that was left, and surprisingly not that bad. Um, it, it tasted like something that, that uh, maybe not quite as good, but something that um, Sam Adams would put out. Um, so the Narragans at Summer, surprisingly decent, uh, which I think I wrote in my check-in, um, Narragansett's regular, like, uh, yellow, fizzy, uh, water beer is still not good, though, so don't drink that. Yeah, I think a lot of areas have stuff like that. I know we're talking about it on, like, Beer Advocate one day. It's like almost every beer is subject to local bias unless it has, like, you know, countrywide distribution. So, like, a lot of smaller breweries will get, like, really high ratings for beers that aren't that great. Um, I know this I was mentioning down the street. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Like I mentioned, like when you were talking, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people will, and from California especially, will talk about, you know, the Anchor Steam is great and all this other stuff. And Anchor Steam is, um, you know, is the first craft brewery in the country. So, so for that, it obviously gets a ton of credit. You know, but beyond that, um, I mean, you know, the, uh, the Anchor Steam Beer is is a California common that's really not. I mean, it's nothing special. Like I don't mind drinking it, but I guess like that kind of falls under like one of California's like like you can't like you can't assail this beer. But it's like not that great, and I feel like a lot of other areas have like similar beers. They're just like, oh my god, like I love this beer. But, like, but do you? Like, but do you? If you look at the others the other beers in the area, look at the other beers that get brought into this area. Um, and it's not to blast any certain beer at all. And like I said, there's 
drink anger, no problem. But um, at the same time, like, it is interesting to see um, just how certain areas feel towards certain beers. I've definitely noticed that with Anchor Steam. Like, I've had it. It's fine. It's, it's like, a perfectly okay beer. But I, I see, like, other writers or people who are, like, out on the West Coast and they're like, oh, I'm in San Francisco. I better drink some Anchor Steam. I'm like, you can get Anchor Steam here. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> like, if I'm in California, that's, like, the last thing I'm going to go drink. Like, I, I'm not going to go to, to, you know, Los Angeles and go order, like, a Sam Summer. I'm going to get something I can't try other places. Anchor Steam you can get anywhere. Yeah, and and I think I think that's when other opinions creep in on it on beers too. I think you see that. I mean, you see that with theirs. Um, obviously, Sam Adams, uh, Sierra Nevada gets that. Lagunitas, uh, Stone. I'd say Ballast Point to a point. Um, there's definitely a bunch of uh, breweries that that get that sort of like once you get out of your your comfort zone. That's when that's when you really see if it stands up. If people don't have that that emotional. Like, this is one of my local breweries' uh, attachment to it. Yeah. I'm mean, definitely just something to that. Like, I drink a lot more, like, Connecticut or New York beers than I probably would if I was living in Iowa, so. <laughs> Fair. And I drink a more L.A. beers than, obviously, I, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to claim San Diego in, in my, quote-unquote, local selection if we're just looking at the greater Southern California area, which is nice, because then I don't feel... I, I do have pangs of guilt if I'm drinking. <laughs> if I'm not drinking... Uh, there are very few things I drink that aren't in California. Um, fat, I'd say, yeah, like New Belgium, Fat Tire being one of the only ones that I'll drink on a regular basis. And then, obviously, if I trade for stuff, then that doesn't count either. <laughs> but enough complicated rules for drinking beer. Um... Our favorite part of the show, we get to walk through the schedule and decide who's going to win games. I actually looked at this earlier, so I'm going to be real, real quick with my judgments. I was, I was very prepared tonight. <laughs> August 30th, Liberty, a team that feels that they should have moved up to FBS years ago. Is that true? Will they be North Carolina? Yes. They they are a private school, and they feel that they are well-prepared and suited to dump a shitload of money into being an FBS school and dominating the Sun Belt, according to their family. Go for it. Why not? You can always use more Sun Belt schools. I actually had no idea where it was. I just looked it up. It's in Lynchburg, Virginia. And it has an – how is this – does it really have an enrollment of 74,000? Like, what is that? How is that possible? Well, let's investigate. Oh, 90,000 online students. Okay. So it's like... It's like Those don't count. <laughs> uh, Christian University of Phoenix with a decent-sized campus. <laughs> they have 12,600 students on campus and 90,000 online as of May 2013. That doesn't make any... Uh, I guess the, the enrollment skyrocketed. They've, they've really uh, jumped up. Like None of these numbers make any sense. <laughs> they have 90,000 students online... But the enrollment said like seventy something thousand, so they've added like almost twenty thousand. But then the acceptance rate's like twenty one percent. So I don't think that can include online students. This whole thing is a mess. <laughs> that, that sounds like you and I just starting up John and Dan University and and then just claiming everybody is in. Just letting everybody in. 
and suddenly we have a football program. Now, do the is the football program online as well? Like, um, like you could do it, like play, play like Madden. It's just FCS West. <laughs> the same actually isn't going to actually happen because of the NCAA uh, not being released this year. It's really her liberty's uh, ability to play. But off topic, well, okay, so Liberty's losing this game. Yeah, um, yeah, I think we. Off topic, I was out drinking the other day. I was out drinking the other day and saw somebody with a Tulane tank top on. I just, uh, Tulane just uh, unveiled new helmets today, and they, I think we've seen the new logo before, like the really, like, sludge green logo that looks um, fairly, like, it does look healthy. It looks like if you don't hear their logo now, you'll get some kind of, like, maybe superpower, so maybe it's kind of cool. But um, it's really, like, bright green, but not like a neon green. It's like a radioactive green. I'm investigating that. At, at AAC Media Days in Newport, Rhode Island. That's, that's one thing. I saw sure. someone bring it up. Like, AAC needs to move those Media Days now. Because, like, you have Memphis and, and New Orleans. Go, go, have, go have some fun now. If you're, if you're not going to be a power conference... At least be like a fun group of five. Or better, continue bringing people from New Orleans and Memphis to Newport, Rhode Island, and, and watch the culture clash. That's fair. Except that I don't really want to watch it. NECU. Oh, God. Do they actually, I hope all the East people actually sail the pirate ship up the coast. Did that happen? That, that's what needs I, to happen. I wish. From now on. If my mask guy was a pirate, I would sail everywhere. EC needs to do that and then also offer Mike Leach like $30 million to coach and just go full-on pirate. Like, they have to actually become pirates. Yeah. Just in his contract is, is dressing like a pirate. <laughs> on the sideline. <laughs> oh, is that yeah, like a <laughs> sailor jersey? Like, the peg leg and a hook. Uh, so many possibilities. They use hashtag roll wave on their uh, on their Twitter feed. That's fun. Yeah, I saw that today. Good for you guys. Good for you guys. All right, that's this week's two lane tangent. Uh, and we what was that? <laughs> and we snuck ECU in there. And we did snuck ECU. Actually, now we can talk about both of those teams with a uh, what is a uh, what is it new Nation blog? Underdog. Oh, uh, it's Underdog Nation or something. Yeah. It's probably Underdog Nazi Dynasty. Underdog Dynasty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got to talk to them. Once we uh, once they get up and rolling on uh, August fourteenth, but for those who didn't that know, nice. that's, uh, that's the new SB Nation blog for all things uh, AAC, except for the couple of schools that have their own blogs. Um, all the USA teams, except for UTEP, who has its own blog. Um, all the Sun Belt teams and Army will all be lumped in over there. Fun. That's where that's where it's gonna be on like Tuesday nights. It's just gonna be all underdog dynasty. 
and they already have a Twitter feed, so you can go follow that. As does Syracuse football recruiting via Troy Noons is an absolute magician, if you haven't already followed at Noons Recruiting. Yeah, we, we might as well plug that, too. Uh, Noons Recruiting is our is our new spot for, for all things football recruiting. So, uh, so uh, I would highly recommend following that. Ben does a fantastic job over there. Started writing some articles today. Um, then we're going to have a good time with some, like, legit uh, recruiting coverage now. I'm very excited. So I, I was pining for Troy Noons an absolute magician. That did not happen. Some dreams die hard. Yeah. Well, you should have gotten that in in uh before we made the account. But you know <laughs> we can always change it if we really want to. <laughs> yeah, Ben Ben's gonna do a really good job. Uh Ben's actually a really good friend of mine, so I was able to put him in touch with Sean and, and now we have Sparks flying and Recruits being retweeted, so good times all around. Woo. All right, so games on the field. September 6th, San Diego State. I'll be honest, I would take the Aztecs if the Heels were headed out to uh, San Diego. But since they're not, um, San Diego's big question mark is, uh, is their quarterback situation and hence their offense. Um, sort of kind of similar to their uh, their basketball team, weirdly, where they just have one guy. And... Situation is, yeah, it's like one guy, and that's pretty much it. Like, quarterback situation is really weird. Um, I still think that San Diego State's like an eight or nine win team this year for some reason, but um, I just don't think they're going to be able to, to hang with the heels, especially um, given just the amount of speed and size that North Carolina has. Um, I just think Aztecs are going to be a little overwhelmed. Now, what I didn't know is that San Diego State played in, Wal- in Qualcomm Stadium until I just yeah, looked at do. the Wikipedia. Interesting. But they don't How do they do allow the, uh They don't have the whole stadium available. So, like, the upper decks are blocked off, and then, like, I think so are the end zones. I think grabs. As any fan will tell you. you know, I've almost been to a game a couple times down there just because my entire, all of my in-laws went there. My wife is the only black sheep in her family that did not go to San Diego State. But everybody else did. Um, I've been to SDSU's campus a bunch of times, but I never went to a game at Qualcomm despite wanting to go. I think they're facing Boise there this year, and I try to get down for that. Because that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how that how that is uh, game day was. I mean, they have really good student section, uh, at least for basketball. I yeah. assume that that spills over into football too. But you know, you never actually know <laughs> as, as fans know. <laughs> <laughs> Not as much. Yeah, they're uh, definitely. I mean, very good fan base, very good program in recent years. I mean, San Diego State in general has just poured a ton into its overall marketability. And, and you saw when they were invited to the, you know, then Big East, just how much they've progressed. And the fact that they're still trying to angle themselves for an eventual Big 12 invite is pretty huge, but that's never going to happen, just because of West Virginia more than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think... 
UNC will handle SDSU. I don't think that's a major issue. So at East Carolina, this one intrigued me because, you know, you can't get through a podcast without talking about the Pirates. And the Pirates' entire thing with, uh, with Ruffin McNeil is just plundering and setting fire to shit. And if any if any team was able to match North Carolina's firepower on offense, uh, it feels like it's ECU. But at the same time, ECU has an even more questionable defense than uh, than North Carolina. I'm gonna go out and I don't. This is one of like my my weekly. I don't feel good about this pick, but I'm gonna make it. Um, I'm taking UNC. I understand they got blown out by ECU last year, um, and I understand that it's at ECU. I just feel like UNC should have it together this year. Um, they should have more talent. Uh, it's another year under the system, and they definitely really want to win this game because they gave up 55 points last year. Um, so I think ECU is going to be pretty good this year, but I'm going to take UNC in a close um, game that uh, features a lot of – USC is really going to want this one, I think. And it's hard for uh, a, mid, a, a mid-major team, even one that's as good as ECU, to, to pull that kind of upset two years in a row, I think. So I'm taking the, the heels, although, you know, obviously when you've lost to a team by 24 points the year before, uh, it is going a bit out on a limb. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the state of the team, the state of North Carolina, when they were facing ECU, totally different uh, squad for the most part. But I think the fighting fedoras, um, you know, get into Greenville and, and win this one by the skin of their teeth. And ECU, despite no defense, is probably still going to win 10 or 11 games this year. So if this ends up being one of the, if not the only loss, then so be it. Yeah, so that that puts uh, UNC at three and zero, heading into that first ACC game with Clemson, which would be a really interesting one, considering these two teams are kind of moving in different directions compared to last year. Although Clemson still expected to be really good, I'm very curious. I think this will be one of the more fun offense versus defense matchups, and it's just entertaining that Clemson is now the defense. In in any in a comparison like that, I mean, I, I definitely definitely see. Um, well, this will be Williams' first real legit test. Um, Vic Beasley is gonna and Corey Crawford is gonna absolutely terrorize this line, and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to see what Clemson can throw at him. It's also gonna be a lot of fun to see what North Carolina, you know, can do and and whether or not. Um, you know, this defense can take a step up uh, against Clemson offense that, while it doesn't have those key pieces anymore, is still, um, you know, it's still coached by Chad Morris and is still going to be able to put up points. But I do think that this, that this offense versus defense matchup is going to be a ton of fun um, and a really, really interesting indicator for the rest of both of these team seasons. Um, that said, I'm going with Clemson. Yeah, I'm doing with Clemson as well. Um, I just think that defense is going to be pretty nasty. Um, I think the offense, as we've talked about, will be not 
you know, it's not going to be what it was last year, but I think it'll be serviceable. And um, I still have some questions about Marquise Williams. I was looking at his game-by-game stats from last year. Um, to his credit, like, he didn't play a ton of great defenses last year, but um, when he played Virginia Tech, he actually played pretty well. But then he played Duke, which was really opportunistic on the defensive end last year, and he ran ran the ball well, but his passing, he, he threw for under 50%. He threw for two interceptions. Um, and then a couple of the other games, like, he, he just wasn't all that great throwing, uh, moving the ball down the field. Um, Pitt and Virginia, they both threw for under 200 yards. Uh, the Bull in Cincinnati, they won handily, but he threw for under 200 yards. Um, completion percentages have generally been kind of in the mid-50s. So, um, obviously, his legs is add a huge part or a huge part of his game, but I'm not totally sold on him being uh, a top-flight quarterback. Also, his stats are really bolstered by uh, or bolstered by a, uh, a 400-yard, five-touchdown, no-interception performance against um, Old Dominion late last year, where they put up 80 points. So, while I think he's going to be pretty good, um, I do want to see him really have a nice performance and it's a good defense, like. Clemson will be before I totally anoint him as like the second or third best quarterback in the league. I agree. I think this will be a wake up call a little bit for him, which then sets us up for the next week's game. And I think that a loss to Clemson on the road will actually set them this entire offense up well for for a win against Virginia. Like we said, North Carolina's biggest weakness is. Secondary, but I don't see the secondary being tested against a Virginia Tech team. There's no idea throwing the football. Um, so I'm going North Carolina against Virginia Tech um, in a game that will, I think, go a long way toward deciding who wins that division. It's just it's tough for me. I know a lot of people are getting behind the Hokies. It's very tough for me to to legitimize a pro Virginia Tech, you know, coastal pick when they can't move the ball. Yeah, I'm of the same mind here. Um, I just I'm not in love with this Virginia Tech team. I really haven't been in a couple seasons. Um, the defense should be good as always, but I don't know if it'll be quite as good as it was last year. And the offense still a real huge question mark. So um, I think you and you know it should be a close game. I think Virginia Tech is you know right around the same talent level as UNC, but I just kind of believe more in what UNC is doing at this point. Um, but, again, this is the Toastal, and there are five different teams that should really legitimately win it. So you never really know what's going to happen. But uh, I like UNC in this one. He's at Notre Dame, which should be another huge, huge game. It's interesting. I mean, you said, you know, last year the second half of North Carolina's schedule was pretty easy. I mean, the teams that, this, that North Carolina faces on the road are there this year. Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami, Duke. I mean, ECU, like, this is tough. Um, I Notre Dame's another enigma for me, and, and as a result, it's tough to really know what we're going to get out of them. Um, I'm going to go with Notre Dame here just because I think I think it's three straight really tough defenses, and I just don't know if the North Carolina team is up to the task yet. Um, I'm going to, so yeah, I'm going to pick the Irish. It's not going to be by much, but um, I think these will be some great growing experiences for, for a North Carolina team. It's, it's probably going to be looking to find itself on defense um, still by, by mid-October. 
Yeah, and, and Notre Dame probably has the best quarterback that uh, UNC is going to face this year, assuming Everett Golson uh, keeps his academics in line. Um, he's a really dynamic player, um, and it's at Notre Dame, which is always tough. So, yeah, I, I think uh, it should be a really fun game. I think both offenses are kind of similar, but Notre Dame is just a little more established, and they have a better defense. So I think it'll be a, a fairly uh, interesting one. Um, and it's something that UNC could win. They really don't have a game on the schedule where I don't think they could win. But, yeah, you're going to be beat up after playing Clemson and, and Vatek in back-to-back weeks, and then a trip out to South Bend is never easy. Although at the same time, um, general consensus about Notre Dame crowds is that things aren't really that great there. I think it's just the Yeah, but it's still a long trip, and it's a... You know, we'll be playing in front of 80,000. It's not like the loudest place in the world by any means, but um, it's still a, you know, it's it's a bigger crowd than the, I think it's probably the biggest stadium they'll play in this year too, right? Uh, no, Clemson's probably bigger. Um, but, yeah, I, think yeah, I mean, it, 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 I think more it's more of a trip and just kind of the wear and tear by that point in the season because um, their bye will have been after San Diego State. So this will be the fourth of of six, seven, seven straight weeks of football. So they're right in the middle of like, the heart of their schedule. Texas and Georgia Tech. Um, we both kind of said we don't really believe in Georgia Tech. Still haven't arrived at like six wins for them anyway, but um, Tech is just not – there's not a lot to like about Georgia Tech other than – triple option and, and the challenge it poses for teams that haven't faced it. Um, I just kind of see I see North Carolina being able to have their way with Georgia Tech because the only thing to like is the secondary and if you want North Carolina to throw the ball short all day, they will. Um, and I don't think that necessarily plays to Georgia Tech's strength. Um, so yeah, I'm going with definitely going with North Carolina here, and I don't think this will be that close of a game. I was very prepared, and I'm going to take North Carolina, uh, and I was prepared to do it pretty confidently. And then I looked at their their series, uh, and UNC's lost. um, They've only won twice against Georgia Tech since 1998, which is really surprising to me. So there's that whole thing about teams that um, face the option every year, tend to play better against it. Um, UNC hasn't given up a ton of points except for the 68-point thing in 2012. Like It's not like Tech's just blowing them out every year, but they've really not handled Tech well. I mean, they're 2-12 and 12 against them in the, since the year 2000. So I'm taking UNC. I think they're just going to be a much better team this year than Tech is. But Tech has their number, uh, and that's pretty much, you know, you can't really say anything against it. Um, and that, just looking at this really surprises me. I didn't expect it to be that lopsided. Yeah, I was thinking about that while I was saying my prediction. It has been a weirdly pro-tech, and I think that's how tech has gotten by. Is just, They've owned a few teams uh, pretty handily in recent years, um, despite what probably is at this point a talent disparity. So, going with the heels. Um, that takes us to at Virginia. Um, the South's oldest rivalry. This one is the longest-running rivalry in 
uh, Southern College Football. That said, Virginia is terrible, as we will get to in a few weeks. Um, the Heels are going to run a rough shot over this team, and Virginia is going to be dealt. But at that point, it'll probably be like their fifth or sixth straight loss at the very least. I have to even look at their schedule. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everything you said. Passing like the, over Virginia like they're Liberty. Um, but, they are Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't have nearly as many uh, enrollees, apparently. <laughs> they're they're more selective. Or maybe not. Just Liberty apparently only accepts 21%. But, uh, yeah, they're they're just not very good. At this point, if you're Virginia, oh, at this point, if you're Mike London, would you rather be a Virginia or would you rather be where you came from, Richmond? Uh, I'd rather have Dave Clawson running the team. <laughs> Fair. That's a push. So, at Miami now, um, if the Virginia Tech game didn't decide who wins this division, this one probably will. Um, now that Ryan Williams is going to be back, they kind of changed things a bit. Um, but this is two teams that should have very, very well-run offenses. Um, and very questionable defenses. I'm going to take North Carolina because I don't believe Miami really has a home field advantage to speak of. Um, again, this is a tough one, but it, it just it feels right here. Yeah, I was when I was looking at this before, um, this is like the biggest – temptation, I think, to pick against them out of the team, the games I have UNC winning. Um, I'm a huge fan of Duke Johnson, although, who knows if he'll stay on the field. Um, obviously, we, we think that Ryan Williams is back, um, but, you know, we still don't really know what that means. Uh, Miami has a ton of questions, so um, I like Miami, but I'm taking UNC by a hair uh, just because I, I feel a little more comfortable with what they have going on. And like you said, at Miami isn't really a scary thing. Um, actually, no, they have Miami at home, don't they? Yeah. So uh, going to Miami is even less scary than going to Miami. So Pittsburgh. Um, neither of us really believe in Pitt, but at the same time, like, this is one of those, like, typical trap games that Pitt pulls off late in seasons. Um I'm going North Carolina, but I could see this being an upset. Um, I, I just think that there are enough playmakers on Pitt's roster to, to exploit them. I think they have a very, uh, very good secondary as well. Um, so I'm going North Carolina, though I'm not. I again would not be surprised if it went the other way. Yeah, I'm, I'm with UNC here too. Pitt's kind of a wild card. Um, if Voitich really plays up to the expectations of him, you know, being one of the better peer passers in the league. Obviously, they can be pretty good. Um, they have some some really nice special teams players. Um, I think UNC is a little bit better, um, but I can kind of see where I've kind of come around a bit on Pitt, just learning more about them. Um, I'm convinced that North Carolina is a little better, but yeah, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, I could see Pitt winning eight games this year, I think, but um, I could also see them winning six as they tend to do. So I'm taking UNC. I feel a little bit better about them, although I'm, I've 
my opinion of Pitt has got has changed a bit. Although you never really want to trust in Pitt too much. Right. As as I learned when filling out my bracket several years ago and watching them lose to Butler. Um, well, that's I mean that's a whole different story. Like you can't ever trust in Pitt in basketball in March. <laughs> That's my own mistake. I, I, I've learned from my error. <laughs> but uh, lastly, at Duke, um, Carolina ends their season kind of early um, on the twentieth. Duke has owned them of late, and if anyone remembers the game from two years ago when Duke won their sixth um, game to get bowl eligibility, uh, this this rivalry actually has some legs. It's a great game to put at the end of, of both teams' seasons. Um, I'm going with Duke. Uh, I, again, they don't really have much of a home field advantage, especially when they're just down the road. But, um, you know, Duke has played incredibly well and played incredibly well against in-state opponents um, of late, um, beating, I think there's something like, I don't think they've lost to an in-state opponent in a few years now. Um they had that losing streak against Wake for like 11 years, and then they've won like two straight since. And then another beat State. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going with Duke here. Um, because I, I think that this game, even if Duke's already out of contention for the division, I think them playing spoiler will, uh, will, will be worth it to them. And I also can't talk myself into North Carolina winning 10 games in the regular season just yet. Yeah, I'm thinking Duke as well, obviously. Uh, that's my, my pet team on this podcast. And I believe I searched them when we did the Duke podcast as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I like Duke a little bit more. Um, they've they've beaten up on UNC the last couple of years. It's just, uh, it should be a, a good game. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and the, the two teams are actually pretty, kind of similar. It's, it's almost a little bit eerie how, how similar they are. Um, but I just I like Duke a little more, and, and even if it was about even in terms of players in the field, like I think he Vador is good, but I think you got to give the edge to Tutcliffe. Like that guy is just the the way he's turned that program around is amazing. So uh, I'm taking the Dukies in that one. No doubt. Um, so at nine and three uh, with a six and two conference record, do you think this North Carolina team is winning the Coastal? I forgot what I said for Duke. I think it's one of those two, um, or Miami. But uh, I think if Miami gets really great quarterback play, I think they are probably the best team. But I don't know that they will, and I feel a little bit better. I think one. Of, I think if I had to bet, I'd take either UNC or Duke. Um, Pitt can get involved, I guess. Um, but it's uh, it's all up in the air. I mean, the Trojans is such a weird league. And, and oh, we we missed uh, UNC has his NC State at the end of the year. Why does my schedule not include? Ridiculous. That's why they they don't end on their their season on November twentieth because that would have been really bizarre. That would have been. Amazing. All right, but uh, NC State. I think everyone knows how we feel about that team. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we. Uh... The exclamation point on that loss uh, last week. Why can't I just look up? Sorry, for some reason, I have my schedule just like decided that that game doesn't exist, which is weird. 
here we are. November 29th. Yeah. So this would get them to 9 and 3. <laughs> and I fully expect that to happen because I don't think State has it yet, as we discussed ad nauseum last year, last week. Yeah, um, they'll beat up on State pretty good. So, I guess at 9-3, and three, UNC's out of the discussion for, um, you know, uh, a money ball, I, I guess. Because it really depends on what happens with Clemson. Because if you assume Florida State's in the playoff, and you assume the Orange Bowl is probably going to Clemson, um, I mean, I don't... North Carolina loses the uh, ACC championship game to Florida State. I mean, there's no conceivable way that, that they send a 9-4 and four North Carolina team to the Orange Bowl, do they? I can't see them doing it. Um, I think they'd rather send Clemson if they can. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to tell. Uh, I, I wouldn't – I don't think so. I don't think they would. I think they would send a 9-3 and three Notre Dame team over both of them. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> they, yeah, would, they would. Really, I mean, if they really could, they'd send a Sits and Sits Notre Dame team, but I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's that's allowed. Um, that's getting dry. <laughs> but no, I, I don't see them. If, if they if they win ten games, I think they would be the choice. But uh, I think Clemson will be a little better than them last uh, next year. Um, but I don't. You could. I mean, I could see UNC breaking out. It did go either way. Either way, I think they'll be a good team next year. Nothing to be disappointed about. Definitely a step forward. All right. I guess on that note, uh, we can close out. Any uh, any final parting thoughts, wisdoms? No. Um, it should be a fun team. I think it, it's one of the. I mean, one of the many teams that can win the Coastal. Uh, I, I think that at, at worst they'll be pretty entertain, entertaining because. They should be able to throw points, but they also might give a bunch up. So I'm looking forward to a bunch of these games. Uh, the Clemson game, the Duke game, the, the Notre Dame game, all, all should be really fun. And the ECU game, I think, too. All set. All, set. all right. That wraps us up here on Trey Noon's and Absolute Podcast. I'm John. That was Dan. Uh, and we'll see you next week when we're talking about our least favorite frenemies, Pittsburgh. Sounds good. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.